appreciate your, appreciate your faithfulness there. It's good to see Kaylee over there in her spot. It is one spot a little lonely, though. Um, but that can be fixed, right? Nothing that a long plane ride can't solve. I can't believe Taylor, your first ride on an airplane. Yay. All them nursing things you've learned might come in handy. Hunter, Hunter will be like, you're hyperventilating, you're hyperventilating. Um, I just tell people, I don't mind the, the flying on the airplane so much. I just despise the airports. It's, I just despise the whole process. But that's why, I, you know, maybe we need to start that fund. You know, Pastor Ken needs his own private jet. Um, <laughs> I've already made a request to the men's leadership team for the helicopter since God provided a pilot. Um, so that must be a sign. You know, that's how the, we determine the will of God. It must be a sign. Just need Copeland? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kenneth. <sighs> Thanks, Pastor Danny. <laughs> that's, that's good. I probably would have, I would have a jet, though, wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, all right, well. As we're going to study tonight, it doesn't really matter because um, that's not the, the focus of the gospel uh, message. But tonight, I entitled tonight's Bible study will be in John chapter 4 in our life of Messiah uh, as we study through um, the life of the Lord Jesus from a Jewish perspective. I entitled tonight's message, So How Many Times Have You Been Married? How Many Times Have You Been Married? Now, I, I, I had a couple people who were aware of this in the tech room back there said, you're not really going to ask us that, are you? <laughs> nope, I'm not. Um, not. In other words, that's an answer to yourself question. Um, and I can, I can, I can feel the, uh, you know, I can feel the uh, angst in the room already. Um, Another alternative title that I wrote that maybe would have been easier for the guys in the back, a little shorter, but uh, Confrontational Evangelism. How about that, Pastor Dane? Sounds like a good book title, doesn't it? Confrontational Evangelism. And we are at the point in the life of the Lord Jesus. He has been in the Jerusalem area ministering. John Baptist got arrested. And Jesus takes his disciple, leaves Jerusalem in the south, and heads to the north up near Galilee. But he cuts right through the area of Samaria. And we found he's now sitting at Jacob's well uh, in Samaritan territory. And he's this well, as we studied last week, was situated between two mountains, Mount Ebal on one side, Mount Gerizim on the other. Last week we studied how in the Old Testament, the uh, God, when he brought the people out of, uh, out of Egypt, he gave them choices of blessing or cursing, and he set half the people on Mount Ebal and half of Mount, Mount Gerasim, and every time he pronounced a curse, he addressed it to the tribes on Mount Ebal, and every time he did a blessing, there was Mount Gerasim. So you can understand why the Samaritans built their temple on Mount uh, Gerasim. You know, everybody wants the blessings, right? Uh, I know I prefer those, but uh, the point was you're in the valley decision choosing between those and in, in, uh, the mosaic law. It is uh, more physical in nature, but Jesus is about to teach a profound uh, spiritual application for the era of grace that was coming, and he does it through talking with the Samaritan woman. Uh, he, offer, he asks for a drink, and then he offers her living water, and just as he did in the chapter before in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he uses a physical illustration to teach a spiritual one. But just like Nicodemus in the chapter before didn't get it right away, uh, so the woman so far is not picking up that Jesus is talking about spiritual water. He left off in our story where Jesus has made this offer to her and said, if you drink the water this well, you're going to thirst again. 
But if you drink of the water that I give, you'll never thirst, and it'll be inside of you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, with that in mind, we're going to pick things up in John chapter 4 and verse number 15. All right, John 4, 15. The Bible says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So the woman responds to him when he asks, off, makes this offer, he, she says, give me this water because I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to come here to draw. Um, let me ask you, has the woman picked up yet that is she still focused on physical water or is she thinking about spiritual water? You know, she's still thinking on the physical, isn't she? Jesus has made it even more clear in his last response that he's talking about an everlasting water. And she's still thinking about it. Man, she's going, you know, I wouldn't be thirsty anymore. Wouldn't that be great? Didn't get thirsty anymore. And imagine if we had to go down to the well, like here in our town, we are the fountain city. If you had to go down to the fountain, which apparently is a place of great danger anymore, you know, don't, you know somebody doesn't beat you up down there. Uh, and we, but that is, that water is pretty good though. And then I've drank that water before. Is that bad? You know, I've been here a long time. Hasn't done me in. But imagine every day you wanted water. Yes, Jerry. I can't wait to hear what this is going to be. Maybe she, she, that's what I'm saying. I'm, what if the water is just there? And, um, and, but, but if you never got thirsty again, you don't, you don't have to come once, right? It wouldn't really matter. I mean, you never got thirsty. Now, that being said, you know, I don't know if she was there just for herself. More than likely, she still had somebody, maybe, maybe children, maybe other things she was caring for that would have to come get it. But it would, be, it would be pretty nice if it worked out that well. And the reality is, there's a lot of people today, as we mentioned some names, I don't know, I guess it was on live stream, so we might get sued for defamation. Thank you, Pastor Danny. But um, uh, there's a lot of people that, that present the gospel today about coming to God, and if you come to God, everything in your life is going to be so much easier. You'll never feel empty ever again. You'll, you'll never feel like you're alone. You'll never have any of these problems. All your money problems will go away. Of course, that's always provided you give it to, you know, me first, and then you'll be all better. Um, you know, if you do all that, it, it, everything's going to be all good. Isn't that a lot of the way some, there's a whole branch of Christianity that, that, that that's how it's presented. And my question is, is, is God's primary concern in the lives of people today to make us happier in this life? That is not God's primary focus in the lives of people today. Now, I know that's hard to hear. You mean God's going to allow me to go through tough times? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, people get all mad at God. Well, this happened in my life, and it's bad, and I, how come things got so rough? I started doing the right things, and things got really bad. Yeah, that sounds about right. You stay along with the world system, and you're still going to have problems because this world's full of problems. But you tell you what, you start doing the right thing, and usually it gets worse before it gets better. Now, that being said, I don't want to leave this point without throwing out there, again, just because somebody misuses a portion of the gospel, I would suggest to you, is, is life better when you apply biblical principles to it or worse? It's better. So there is an element of truth that when you do things God's way over the course of your life, I do believe God blesses us in physical things, even in this era of grace. And he is interested in our physical life here. And I can tell you, as somebody who's worked with a lot of people, that if you're in a relationship and you're doing it God's way, it's a lot better than when you don't. Every time. I, I tell people that every time I've seen God's principles of marriage applied by two people, it's never done perfectly, but when it's applied both ways, it works. 
And, and so there is a, an element of that, but this, this lady, she's still thinking about how this is going to be good for me, you know? And so what does Jesus do? Well, we're going to find out here um, what he does. I put in my notes, he turns up the heat. And I'll tell you, when you witness to somebody, there's nothing wrong with starting off a witnessing thing like, hey, would you, ever, would you like to go to heaven? Think heaven's a, heaven's a wonderful thing. But someplace along the way, you're going to have to get down and deal with the reason why heaven is out of their personal grasp at the moment. And look what happens in verse 16. Um, Jesus says unto her, saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. So now Jesus makes a request that she go get her husband, and culturally this would be an appropriate thing to do. We're going to look at this more in depth later, so I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's one of those things in my notes that we're not going to get to it tonight even, but I, one of the ones I can't wait to hear what y'all think about this. Um, it can be a very interesting discussion on, on this issue here. But, so I'm just going to mention at this point, um, he said, Jesus says, go get your husband. And ultimately I think the reason he says this is because he's provoking her into a deeper more spiritual discussion. He's trying to get off the solution of the physical onto the spiritual. Now, look at her response to this, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight, is in verse 17 and 18. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he who thou hast, now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidest thou truly. Woo! Now, when he asks her, you know, get your husband, and she says, I don't have a husband, did she answer him honestly? This is a good question. Do you think she was being honest? Okay. Um, all right. Anybody else? Did she, she answered him, you know, go get your husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. Now, we find out later when Jesus responds, no, you don't have one now, you've, but you've had five, and now you're, you're living with the, with the guy. Um, uh, was it a true statement that she didn't have a husband? I, I, they, they, uh, Rebecca says, in your, I, uh, technically, true. But practically, not all the answers. Now, um, I don't know if she did anything wrong in that answer. Jesus turns the heat up more when she gives that answer. Then he goes, yeah, you, you have no husband. You've had five. Um, but he doesn't chide her for saying, hey, you lied to me. Because I, I don't think, I mean, if you had just met someone and been talking to them and they were from a different race and a different culture and you had all these cultural things, would you give a relative stranger all your personal information? Be like the LifeLock guy that goes around with his social security number out printed on his t-shirt or something, you know? I'm, I'm not into doing that, you know? Um, I, I, you know? But at the same time, you're developing this relationship, you don't want to lie. Maybe that's the balance she's trying to strike here, but we find out that this woman had five husbands. How many times she's been married? Five times. Now, I wish I could tell you I've never known anybody. I'm not asking for any hands, okay? I hope there's nobody here tonight that says I've been married five times. Um, I recently had a friend of mine that found out after the fact, I thought he'd been married three times, found out after the fact he'd been married four times. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, Jen, pretty close, huh? Um, but, you know, she, five times, that's something. Uh, that's a crazy life, isn't it? Now, there's, there's discussion in a lot of the commentaries, and here I'm going to ask you guys to think again. I know it's Wednesday night, and I know it's kind of, it's been kind of, 
kept saying it was going to rain, but it never has so far, right? Yeah. You'll wait till right after I pray the closing prayer and you guys go ready to get out in your cars. That's what happened the last time. You know, that was just God's sign saying, stay in church, stay in church. No, you guys are saying that was God's sign saying, stop early, stop early. Um, but I was, it's interesting in the commentaries, different ones have different views on how she arrived at this place in her life. In other words, how, how is it possible for a person, or how would explain that she'd been married five times in terms of her life experience? Anybody? Uh, <laughs> leave it to Brock to come up with that one. I, I, it's in my notes, though. I call it the, 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 the Black Widow explanation. What if, we don't know it in the, in the text, but what if every single one of her husbands had died? You know, we might be calling for, you know, some kind of CSI investigation here or whatever. But, um, you know, that's, that, that's possible. Um, anybody else? How, how could she have maybe ended up in this position? Yeah, Hunter? All right. Maybe she, maybe she was an immoral woman and she kept cheating on, she'd marry one and be cheating on that one. And then, it, it, it ended, you know, that's possible. Anybody else? Let's go, let's go off of hunters, you know. Yeah, there you go, there you go, Jamie. I had one smart woman in here. Just, I, kept, I thought that would be the first answer given, but it, it took, our people are nice. It took them a little while, but one honest woman in here tonight. Uh, she said she kept picking losers. Maybe the men were cheating on her. And then they dumped her, you know, because who could, in, in the Jewish culture of the day, and then probably the Samaritan one as well, probably all the power lay, lied with the men, you know. They could write up a bill of divorcement and get rid of her right away. The women had a much harder time doing it. So probably from that perspective, it is more likely that she kept getting thrown out than, than the other way around. Um, any others that you can think of? Now remember, okay, yeah, uh, yes, Jerry? Well, maybe at that time, but I want to know how she ended up married five times. How, how does that happen? You know, she could have killed them all. Maybe she was unfaithful five times. Maybe the men were unfaithful. Maybe there's a combination of that. Mike? Oh, man. That was not in my notes, Mike. Uh, Mike's pulling out the proverb, that, the one that says, uh, you know, it's better for a man to live alone in a house or in the corner top of a house than in the big wide mansion with a, with a scorner, scornful woman. <laughs> That's Mike said that if you'd like to, you know, www. Um, but uh, uh, truth to that, how, how about, remember I told you last week that the Samaritans we know were very, strict adherence, maybe even more so than the Jews, to the first five books of the Old Testament. What did Mosaic Law say about marriage? All right, there you go. I heard it from somebody. Remember in Old Testament, Mosaic Law says if you're married to a guy and the guy dies, Mosaic Law said the brother has to, if there's no child been given, then, then you have to marry the girl. And is it possible that, that she went through five brothers? And the fifth brother said, you know, I don't think so. 
<laughs> which would have left her in a little bit of a conundrum because she's kind of outcast, which maybe is the reason she was living with a guy that she wasn't married to because everybody by Mosaic law, she should have been married to this guy, but this guy wouldn't marry her. So there she sat. And I, you know, the, the bottom line is, you see how there's a lot of different ways you can arrive at her life, where she's at in her life. How often are we guilty of filling in all the blanks of why someone is where they are in their life. The reality is we don't always know, but what I will tell you, 100% guaranteed, this was a woman that was full of a lot of hurt. That much, I promise you, is there. And when we go dealing with people and we're giving them the gospel, it is a wise thing. If you're sure they're unsaved or fairly sure, you can be pretty certain that in that person's life, one way or another, no matter how many times they've been married, there's a lot of hurt there. There's a lot of hurt. Now, it is also worth notating on this before I leave and I, so I can be culturally contra- confrontational as well. I like doing it every now, now and then. Um, consider that Jesus makes it very clear there's a difference between living together and being married. You know, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to step on toes here. Um, I am all for our standing strong on biblical marriage between one man and one woman. Amen? I am strong in standing for sexual purity and men and women and uh, the whole thing. But you know what I don't hear from a lot of pulpits today is the fact that God's perfect plan is for a man and woman to not have sex before they get married. It's God's plan that they make commitment in marriage before they're living together. And I'm just being honest that 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 standard of God's expectation of marriage is being violated far more frequently than any of the others probably all the others combined. Matter of fact, anymore, I pretty much expect when a new couple, young couple comes into church, if they're not married, typically that's just almost the starting point. It's not, it's the exception when it's not that way. Now, again, um, you say, Pastor, how do you handle that? Usually I, I handle it, I try to be very loving. I try to go back to what I've just shared with you. This woman was in great hurt. And the point is not to just blow somebody up and tell them how awful they are because you don't know what people went through to get where they are in their life. And at that point, not much you can do about it anyway, but what you can do is do what Jesus does and show them love and mercy and show them how they can have life eternally, which will lead to a better life even here. And, but I don't think just running away and, and not being honest with where we are and, and where a person is in their life. And this is what Jesus does. Before Jesus hit her with this truth bomb that he just gave her here, you know, yeah, you're right. You, been, you have no husband, but you've been married five times and now you're living with a guy. Before he hit her with that, remember as we saw last week, he had asked her for a drink which violated Jewish and Samaritan cultural and religious rules. And remember, I I demonstrated to you last week, we saw that when he asked her to give him a drink and she said, you have nothing to drink with, basically she was saying, the only way you could do that if he drank out of her cup. A Jew drinking out of a Samaritan's cup was unheard of. 
And, and a lot of times I know pastors and Christians that want to go to somebody and say, you're living wrong in this way and this way, and instead of you know, having the love of God and trying to lead them to Christ, we're more interested in being condemnational. Understand that before Jesus ever got to this place, he demonstrated to her that he accepted her for who she was and where she was at, and he was willing to break the cultural rules to have a relationship with her. Wow. What? A great example. No, I don't believe that Jesus here is condoning her sin, but I'll guarantee you on a stack of Bibles, if the Pharisees had been here standing off, which they would have been because this is Samaritan territory, and unless a group of Pharisees were passing through, which I guess could have happened, but if their group of Pharisees would have showed up and they'd have heard, overheard this conversation, they would have made the thing, you are, you are compromising. Look at you being close to that sinner. What you need to be telling that woman is she's an immoral woman and to get right with God. That's what you need to be telling her. You need to hold up a sign about how immoral she is. And it's sad to say there's a lot, especially on our independent Baptist side, that that is the spirit that comes out of the pulpit, transmits to the people, and boy, you have some churches, and boy, I know, I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I have been in them where you walk in, and boy, I'll tell you, some, some woman back, you know, not so much today, but still still some, but some woman walks in, and she has a pair of pants on. <gasps> they have meltdowns. Oh, there's a music song in their church, and it has percussion. It has a drum in it. Oh, my. Oh, no. We are very quick to play the part of the Pharisee. Now, you say, Pastor, no, again, the Bible's clear in John chapter 1 when John in his writing first presents Jesus to us. Remember in John chapter 1 he says about Jesus that Jesus was full of truth and grace? <laughs> no, that's a little tricky to run there, wasn't it, Pastor Danny? I saw you smile. No, grace and truth. Grace and truth. Let your speech, Colossians says, be always seasoned with grace. And if you're not prepared to give people grace, probably do the rest of us a favor and don't try to be a witness for Christ because you're not going to be a very good one. Now, also, if you're one of those people that can't confront sin, <laughs> you got problems too. It's seeking that balance of bringing both, but well, I'll tell you what, you better lead with grace. And Jesus wants to let her know in spite of all her failure and her sin, he wanted to help her. But the key thing that had to happen here as he points this out, she has to recognize that she is a sinner. She knew Mosaic law. He needed her to recognize she had a sin problem. Now, can you imagine when he tells her, he looks right now and says, yeah, you're, you're right, you don't have a husband. You, you've had five and now you're living with a guy. What do you think her reaction was? How'd you know that? Yes. Yes. How many minutes have you known me? Yeah. Anybody else? What kind of reaction? What kind of reaction do you think humanity as a whole or put yourself in that position or some other human being in that position? How might have you responded? I think amazement, like Jason said, is how do you know that? That's for sure. Anybody else? Defensive. Defensive. That's a good one. Anybody else? Pardon me? Oh, not, okay, just, oh, yeah, all right. And he's an ostrich. I think, okay, just don't want to deal with it, all right, which is somewhat what she does. Um, anybody else? Embarrassed. Come on, there's a couple more big ones. Shame. 
What if, what if somebody came up and knew everything you did? Wouldn't you be a little afraid of that person? How about this one? Ever told to somebody, even when you've done it in love and you're trying to do it in grace and you've told them, hey, this is an area of sin in your life according to the word of God? I know what it does to me. Many times it makes me angry. I don't like it. I don't, I don't know, you know, if it was guilt. I don't know, you know, imagine her facial response. <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> you, know, you know what? But the reality is at some point, whether, as we've seen in our church here recently, whether you're a five or six-year-old little child, which I believe has the full capability of trusting Christ as their personal Savior, but I remember with my kids, it was really important to me that they understood that they were a sinner. And trust me, they can understand they've done wrong and known what God is to tell the truth and they didn't tell the truth. God told them to be kind and they weren't kind. And isn't it sobering though to think and consider that God really does know everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, ever thought you ever will have. He, already, he knows it. Like maybe Brother Mike said, it's a lot easier for us just to put the ostrich approach, to stick our head in the ground and say, ah, okay. But when you really dwell on that, and then you, then you put in this storyline here with Jesus and this Samaritan woman, somebody from a different race and a different culture, an adversarial relationship between the, the cultures, and yet he's still seeking her as he still seeks us. He engages her just as God desires to engage people everywhere. He loves us just as her as he loved her, he loves us. And just as he offers her a solution, so God desires for all people, here's a solution. And it's at my cost, at God's cost. You know, a lot of times the theological position that I hold to and our church holds to strongly on that grace really means free. And one of the, one of the attacks on my position is, you guys, you know, you don't, you're avoiding sin in presenting the gospel. I, my response to that is no. We avoid adding works to the gospel. And there is a big difference. Telling somebody, and I'm going to get really controversial here again. I'm, I'm, I'm really, maybe that should be the title instead, Oscar. Controversial tonight. Watch at your own risk. Telling someone, which is very common today, and, and I'm not offended when I hear this. We'll have guys that will come in here probably use this terminology, different terminology. You know, phraseology can mean different things to different people. That's okay. But uh, s- some of my friends on the, the lordship side of the equation will say, you know, if you want to get saved, you need to turn from all your sins. I don't even know what that means, nor do I think it's even humanly possible in this flesh for me to turn. What does that mean, turn from all my sins? before you can have this, if you're willing to turn from all your sins, then you can drink of the living water. That's not what the scripture teaches. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is pretty clear. It's a free gift. Romans 5, he says it over and over again. This is exactly what Jesus said here earlier to the woman. This this is going to be a free gift. But it is essential that we recognize our standing before God. We must be confronted by the fact that we are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I tell people who don't want to do this part, and there are some theology people who don't, if I don't understand I'm going to hell and I need a Savior, why would I turn to a Savior? 
I have to be confronted that there's a sin problem. But I want you to notice that in this gospel presentation between John 3 and in John 4, we see this in both ones, that Jesus makes her confront the reality that she is a sinner. To see her spiritual standing before God, that she's a failed human being. But Jesus never tells her that she must change her life around. He doesn't say, go back and either leave the man you're living with or marry him and make that right, turn from that sin, then come back and I'll give you a drink. I don't see that in there. I, 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 I don't even see in here, personally, he doesn't even make her tell him that she's willing to change these things. But he does confront her that she is in her standing a sinner before God. That he does. Romans 6.23 comes to mind, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. He wants her to recognize there's a wage for sin. And so please, I, I, I don't like preaching against sin, but I do. And I think preaching against sin is needful. It's why Jesus had to die. <laughs> we weren't sinners. Huh? He wouldn't have had to come and die. And each of us are guilty, but I'm so thankful, as I said last week, it's very clear. Jesus doesn't say you have to drink a gallon. Jesus doesn't say you've got to come here five times. Jesus doesn't say drink the water this time and then go back and go over to your life. No, when you mess up, come back, you've got to drink again. No, he says take one drink and there'll be this well of water rolling up into everlasting life. One sip received by faith changes our destiny eternally. And I'm so glad that Jesus paid it all and we don't have to fix ourselves to earn a sip of water, but I can come and when the Lord comes to me and offers me salvation, even in my standing, when I've been married five times. Now, maybe you haven't been married five times, but let me go out on a limb and say there's some area of your life where you have failed five times, ten times, a thousand times. And yet, he still comes to you and says, if you'll simply by faith receive it, I'll give you living water. Jesus had to get her to think on spiritual things to get her to see her real problem and need and the problem for sin and the need for forgiveness and eternal life and that he was the solution. And she's getting there. And I thought to myself, I know this is not, you know, Pentecost had not come I don't know how all this worked. There's, I'll let the theologians, you know, debate how that works. But um, do you think this lady at this point is now under great conviction? I think she is. Now she's starting to kind of figure out what this guy is talking about, and she's in her mind. He knows everything I, I'm doing. But is she ready to give up? Nope. <laughs> it's amazing to me how... Sometimes we humans will fight against what we can obviously see the truth is. And she's still not going to give up on it. Now, and we can see this by her response. Maybe his brother Mike said, here's where she tries to move it into the ostrich approach, you know. Um, I have to call that. That's a good one, Mike. Uh, verse 19, notice, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Wow. He just told her some things that only God could know. Now, um, I, I remember watching I, the, the, one of the clips 
came up on my YouTube feed on, on the Chosen series, if you've seen that. And of course, understand, it's, it's a TV show, folks. I understand not everything you see in there is, in fact, it's not all biblically correct. But there's only one source that's biblically correct, and that's the Bible. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but I, in, in, the, in, the, in the film, they expand, they take a little license here, and Jesus begins to name off every, every husband she had and why it left and how the, the, the details of how it fell apart, and she's blown away. That, I don't know that's how it happened, but it's possible. All I know is she knew she was talking to somebody above her pay grade. Jesus didn't have an iPhone 1,577 model to Google search her. She knew she was dealing with somebody that was not some regular man. She's talking to a spiritually minded and powerful person, but yet she's still not there. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons on on this, said this about when she says, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Spurgeon said it would have been better if she had perceived that she was a sinner. Well, that's good. It would have been better if she'd have perceived, and she'll get there. But right now, she's still struggling. Now, I'm probably going to pick it up there next week. Um, but I, I want to close, and I've, some of you have heard this illustration before, and that's okay, because it's one of my favorite ones. That's, you know, there's some stories that happen in life that are worth repeating. And um, it, I was told this story by somebody in this room at least a decade or so or long ago. A true story. And... Um, it was during a time where, as, as I like to tell folks, when God brought here, us here to Prattville and we had only 10, 12, 20 people on Sunday morning, um, it, it allowed me to really do some theology study and answer some questions that I personally had been really wrestling with. Some of the things I shared with you tonight, I have wrestled for years. I remember the first time somebody challenged me and told me, you know, the word repent is not in the Gospel of John ever, not one time. That blew me away. I didn't believe the person, actually. So I went back, got my Greek, got my Greek thing out, looked for metanoia in there, and sure enough, it's not in there at all. The gospel presentation book of the Bible. <clears throat> and I was wrestling with the issues of election and how, you know, I was just told, just don't worry about the confrontation or the, the conflict. It just, it's just God. You know, he just doesn't know what he's doing. You know, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good solution to me. I think God does know what he's doing. Um, but I was going through a lot of that and dealing with some of these issues and somebody came to me and said, man, I, I, I'm going to tell you something that happened here recently at a church we had formerly attended that kind of sealed the deal why it was formerly attended. And I said, really? I want to hear this. And he goes, he goes well, we had a missionary come in, and, uh, which was great, and the missionary was given a missionary report. <clears throat> and the missionary had been down in, in Brazil, I believe it was, uh, somewhere in South America doing big revival service, and they brought all these people in. And, and uh, he said, you know, they, they presented the gospel, and it was a lordship presentation of the gospel, I assume. But the, the, the missionary was not, I don't think he was the main speaker, but they, were, they had like little counselor people. So if you wanted to make a decision, you'd go into a room with someone who was a counselor. And, and this missionary was serving as one of the counselors. And he, he said, I had this guy, he goes, I want to tell you, we had a lot of people saved, but, you know, bless God, we had to share the gospel and be honest. And this guy came in and he, he was broken before me. And, and, and he began to tell me that he wanted to become a Christian and he'd heard the thing tonight and knows he needs Jesus to be a savior. And, and, and he goes, but I need to tell, I got to be honest with you, I'm a drug dealer which, you know, the stereotype, there's probably a lot of them in South America. And again, before you judge, you don't know what that culture is really like. It might, you know, 
I'm just telling you, a lot of times we live on our high piety standards, but if you had to feed a family, all I'm saying is he told this guy, hey, I'm I'm a drug dealer. And he looked at the missionary and said, can I still get saved? And the missionary stood in the pulpit in a church in front of people and told them all, he said, I told him to go back home when he's ready to quit being a drug dealer, come back and he can be a Christian. And the church all went, yay. I'm just telling you, it breaks my heart when I hear those stories. Now, you, you receive that free gift and then if you desire, sometimes that happens. I've seen people quit being drug, drug dealers the next day. I've known other people that maybe whatever issue in their life, it took them a few years. It's the, the spiritual process, but I'll tell you what. I'm so thankful that Jesus says, if you want a drink and you want to receive it by faith, I freely offer it to you. No matter how many times you've been married. Amen? That was a lot of theology. I know I made a lot of people mad tonight. That's okay. You take whatever I said tonight. You go search it out yourself. As Pastor Danny would say, be a Berean. Go go search it out yourself. And um, all I know is that only reason I'm going to heaven is because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Not because of anything that I did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight. Lord, I know I've dealt with some, uh, some theology issues that are badly needed today. And I'm so thankful to know that in spite of our standing as a sinner that you came and died, that we could have eternal life. Lord, for those of us tonight who are believers, and I know each of us here probably have issues going on in our life. Maybe things are going bad at work. Maybe things are struggling in a relationship somewhere and all that. But maybe tonight just being reminded um, that this life is not all there is and that your primary interest was to deliver us from the eternal damnation in hell and to promise us and guarantee us an eternity in heaven because of that living water. Lord, help us as we go out into the community and we engage people to be people that lead with grace. And Lord, as we help folks understand and see that according to your word, when, you know, that we're all sinners, uh, Lord, I pray that we would see uh, your working and continue to see people saved and receiving the free gift and then God seeing lives transformed. Thank you again uh, for this woman at the well. Uh, Thank you for Nicodemus, and God, thank you for giving us a blueprint of how we can be effective in witnessing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Hey, witness to somebody this week. There's tracks out here in the the foyer, and, um, you know, have at it. Should do a...